A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it, and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Katie. Welcome back. Evening, everyone. Hope you had a good day. I have a couple of things I want to share before I start tonight. Pastor Charlie's been doing a series on loving God. There he is. Um, and it was about putting God first in our lives and being fully committed to him and following him, being passionate followers, being disciples of the Lord Jesus. And what does it mean to be a disciple? He explained all of that. And I think last week he spoke about making choices about not building our life on the sand, but building our life on the rock. Is that right? What did you do? That'll do. Um, tonight, um, we're speaking about loving God, and that means uh, being committed to doing what God's heart passion is, which is bringing other people to God. So it's about evangelism. Uh, let me, first of all, before I pray, share with you that on the 15th of January, at 14 minutes past four in the afternoon, my daughter Kate gave birth to a little daughter. Woohoo! Her name is Marnie. Marnie Elaine Evans Porter. Evans Porter is a surname, if you like. Kate's hyphenated, I think. Um, <clears throat> she was. 52 centimetres long, her head was 36 centimetres, and she weighed 8.3 pound. A big baby. She was 3.7 kilos. So she's a big kid. She has my hairline, my nose, my eyes, and probably something like my ears. Absolutely gorgeous looking kid, basically. Welcome back to all of those of you who have been away on holidays. And tonight we're going to jump in. I'm going to read to you another Bible passage. We've read Mark 2, and we may get to that, we may not, <clears throat> but we'll certainly allude to some of the principles in it. But I want to read to you from Acts chapter 8. So if you've got your Bible or turn your eyes to the screens or your device, I want to read to you Acts 8, this incredible story of how God was at work in the world and how he works through people, Philip in this case, but just like you and me, uh, to bring somebody else to faith um, and God is still in the process of doing that. In, Mark, in Acts chapter 8 and verse 26, we read, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. 
So he started out and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet and asked the question, do you understand what you were reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is some water. What can stand in the way of my being baptised? Jump verse 37, which is not there in the text. And he gave orders to stop the chariot and then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch didn't see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and travelled about, preaching the gospel in all of the towns until he reached Caesarea. Amen. That's God's word to us as well, and we're going to certainly focus upon that passage tonight. I forgot to tell you about Marnie. I have 250 photos for those of you who would like to come and enjoy her beautiful face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again that we can be together. Thank you for the freedom we have as a people in this nation to be able to do that. Thanks, Lord, for your word. Thanks for the gift of your spirit. And I pray now, Lord, that you would be pleased to work through me to um, speak about this passage and to speak truth into each of our lives that we might be aligned with your will and your purposes. Lord Jesus, we ask that you might be pleased to achieve all that you intend and desire this night. We are your willing, submissive servants, and we ask this in your name. And everybody said... The Lord Jesus in John chapter 4 had a a divine appointment, an encounter with a lady at the well. She was a lady whose life was struggling. She'd had five busted up relationships, five marriages. She must have been, I'm guessing, lonely. She came to the well in the middle of the day, probably. There is some dispute about that, but let's assume that's the correct. If she came in the middle of the day, Nobody else would do that. You went in the morning or you went in the evening when it was a bit cooler. She came in the middle of the day because she was probably socially ostracised. Jesus is sitting there, exhausted from what he's been doing, waiting for the disciples to come back with some McDonald's, which they'd gone into Samaria to buy. And she had a jar and he asked for a drink. He has this conversation with this lady. And through the process of a very simple conversation, this lady becomes, her heart opens Her mind becomes clear and she realises who Jesus is. He tells her who he is and she has this positive response to it. Runs into the town, tells other people and they come out and there is this amazing turning to God amongst the Samaritans. It's called a divine appointment. The disciples come back, they've got their food, they give it to Jesus or they try to and he says, I have food to eat that you know not of. What Jesus is saying is that conversation with that lady and the result of that conversation was so nourishing, was so stimulating, it's refreshed me. 
And that's what it's like when you give your life to him and you are obedient to his promptings and to his leadings and to what he says to us through the Bible. It'll nourish you, it'll sustain you, it will refresh you. That's not to say you'll never get tired, you'll never get exhausted. Jesus was exhausted. But there will be this deep inner soul satisfaction. That's what we want to talk about tonight. Let's do a word association before we jump into this passage. If I give you this occupation, you get a picture in your mind and then I might get you to describe it for me. Librarian. Glasses. Aurora. Books and shelves. Yep, that's where the librarian works, but the librarian, the person themselves, who thought... What was that? Where's Marie? Did you think of an older lady with short hair and a bun? Did you think of a lady with a bun? No? All right, next. Um, Sumo wrestler. Five hundred pound guy in a diaper. Yep. Fighter pilot. Yeah, all the ladies, put up your hand if you thought of Tom Cruise. Yep, thank you for being honest. Uh, Guys, who thought of yourself? (laughs) Yep. An evangelist. Okay. Anything else? Spirit-filled. What did you say? Human. Human. Warm and breathing. Okay. Human. Anybody got a negative association with that word? Many of us do when we talk about evangelism and evangelists. Unless you think of someone outstanding like Billy Graham, who was just remarkable for decades, the, good, the godliness and consistency of that man's life. <clears throat> but I've encountered some pretty bad evangelists in my time. And sometimes they give me the heebie-jeebies. I tend to think of evangelism sometimes as people who are being too pushy, a bit like telemarketers, you can't get rid of them. Um, sometimes a bit obnoxious. The, the worst, if I think of the worst ones, that's the picture that comes to my mind. But that's certainly not the picture that Jesus wants us to have. Probably many of us, if not most of us, have had some sort of awkward, uncomfortable experience with evangelism. People struggle with it, truth be told. The research indicates that most evangelical Christians are not actively evan- evangelical in terms of. Uh, sharing and talking about their faith very simply with their neighbours. They're not inviting them to church or things like that. That's particularly true here in Australia. We seem to be uncomfortable with it. And if that's not true for you, that's terrific. We need to learn more from you. Here are four, I don't know, excuses, reasons people have for their reluctance to be evangelical. Number one is ignorance. They either don't know how to do it, they don't have a method... They don't like any of the methods they've been exposed to and so they end up with no method at all. And there are lots of different methods and ways. My personal favourite is Two Ways to Live. I like that one because when you talk about it, you can actually draw pictures. And I've done that on numerous occasions with a napkin and a coffee shop. And it communicates clearly and succinctly. So number one, people feel, I don't know how to do it. Ignorance. Number two, fear. I'm scared if I talk about Jesus with my non-Christian friends, neighbours or colleagues or whatever 
they're going to ask me a question that I'm not going to be able to answer and I'll feel silly. Or I fear their reaction. I fear that they're going to, well, they could get angry, but I fear they might be mocking, they might be dismissive, they might think less of me, they might put me in the category of being a religious fanatic or a religious fool or something like that. So fear. People have this genuine fear. Another one is indifference. We just don't care. Uh, If they don't believe, that's up to them. Too bad, so sad, they didn't go to hell. Indifference. Some people are like that. Or perhaps you've had this uh, bad experience. You've been turned off by what you've seen others involved in, either Bible thumpers or God botherers or, or whatever, whether they were rude or obnoxious or pushy. And the result is you don't say anything now. Um, for all of those, the reality is we need to move on. We need to face those fears or issues or excuses and forsake them. We can't go on maintaining that and using those as excuses. Uh, because in fact we're being disobedient. <clears throat> in this passage, there is a a wonderful illustration. It's not unusual. <coughs> Excuse me. It's not unusual in terms of God still does this, and some of you here tonight would have had these sorts of experiences, and I hope many more of you will have experiences like this one tonight um, in the weeks <coughs> coming ahead. Let's jump into the Acts 8 passage and retell this story and see what principles we can get from it. Number one, Philip is a Greek name. He's Jewish by background, but he's Greek speaking. He's got some sort of Greek influence in his life. And so he can quite easily cross that cultural divide between just Jews and Gentiles. He's busy. He's left Jerusalem and he's gone north to this place called Samaria, where he's been involved, if you read the earlier part of Acts, in a an evangelistic campaign, in a revival, and God was moving powerfully. He just preached and people came to faith, people got healed, miracles were happening, all sorts of incredible things were happening. The apostles Peter and John came up from Jerusalem and paid a visit, and then they had left and gone back. This story picks it up after they have returned. It says, an angel of the Lord came to Philip. I don't think I have ever seen an angel but I have certainly had occasions where I have sensed the presence of angels. This angel of the Lord comes, it says in verse 26, and said to Philip, so there's some sort of manifestation of this spirit being an angel, and says to Philip, first step, go south to the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem down to Gaza. He's north, he's in Samaria. Go beyond Jerusalem and catch the road from Jerusalem that goes towards the coast. It's about 80 kilometers long to Gaza, on that road. That's all the instructions he's got. He's not told specifically where, and he's not told why. But notice that he is obedient. He does what he is told to do. So off he goes. Then the passage tells us, in my imagination, he's on that road for a while. Whether it's hours or several hours, whatever. It's a period of time, and he must be wondering, why does the Lord want me here? taking me out of an effective ministry in Samaria, people coming to faith, where he was busy and active and taken to a place where it's still. And then he sees in the distance this caravan moving towards him, this group of people. It was a chariot, probably pulled by bullocks. It wasn't a war chariot. It was a traveling uh, chariot. And it's carrying this um, 
official from the African country of Ethiopia, south of Egypt, who's a eunuch, either physically and or by title. He is a high-ranking official. He's a government dignitary. And in fact, he served Kandake, which is the queen mother. The king was off doing very important religious things and whatever else he was doing. He didn't have time to look after the secular affairs of state. That was left to the queen mum. And this guy worked for the queen mum. He was the secretary treasurer. Influential guy. Um, somewhere in this guy's life, he'd come under the influence of some Jewish people. And he'd come to understand that there was one true and living God. The God of the Old Testament, the God of the Bible, Yahweh. And so he had taken long service leave or whatever, and he had travelled to Jerusalem, 500 miles, um, 1,000 kilometres, that'll do, um, to worship God. He would have got to Jerusalem because he's a Gentile. He would not have been allowed into the temple. He would only have been allowed on the outskirts of the temple to the courts of the Gentiles. Because he was a dignitary, he may very well have had conversations with rabbis and priests. He may have been granted access to the Sanhedrin. Not told any of that. He went to Jerusalem, caught to the Gentiles, would have made his offerings. And I imagine that his heart is not satisfied. He's come to seek and worship the true and living God and he hasn't been granted admittance. Not only because he's a Gentile, but also because he's a eunuch. He would have been excluded from that religious experience. He would have already encountered baptism, a Jewish baptism, when he became a Jew, but he was not granted full acceptance into the Jewish family. He was always going to be on the edge. This is the guy in the chariot, gone to Jerusalem, had that religious experience. Somewhere, he purchases a copy of Isaiah. These are expensive and rare. Not everybody had a copy of the scrolls. The synagogues did, but individuals having their own copy of the scriptures, you would have to have some money or some influence to get that. Well, he bought a copy of Isaiah. Would have been a large scroll, would have been excited to have it, would have been the LXX, the Greek translation of the Old Testament. And he was so excited to have this, I can imagine. He gets in his chariot in Jerusalem, they're heading home, and he starts reading it. Where do you start reading a book? At the beginning. So he starts at the beginning. He's read chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. He's now up to chapter 53. That's what this passage tells us. So here is this guy coming along and he's reading. When he reads, they don't read like we do. We've been taught to read silently. In the, old, in the ancient world, they read out loud. So when someone was reading, you could come alongside them and you could hear what they were reading. So that's exactly what happens. This guy's coming along, Philip's putting two and two together, and the Holy Spirit actually says to him in verse 29, uh, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And he does. One thing you learn about Philip is when the Lord says, Philip, I want you to do this, he does it. He's an obedient follower. And God loves to use obedient followers, obedient Christians. So Philip comes alongside this chariot and undoubtedly other people had come alongside the chariot. While the chariot's moving slow, I imagine it's going faster than a walking pace. So Philip's running beside the chariot. I could also imagine that he's had that experience before this Ethiopian eunuch. Other people would have come beside the chariot running, putting out their hand, asking for money, asking for gifts or whatever. I could imagine that sort of thing happening. So here is another one. Philip, only this guy's not asking for money. And in fact, Philip listens. Here's what he's reading. 
understands that he's reading Isaiah 53. It's a prophecy about the Lord Jesus. No better Old Testament passage than to talk about Jesus than from there. And Philip very wisely just asked him a question. Do you understand what you're reading? How can I understand it unless somebody explains it to me? And then, I don't know if he stops the chariot or if Philip just jumps on board or whatever, but anyway, he gets in the chariot and he's now sitting next to the guy. And the guy is reading the scriptures and Philip is beginning to explain it to him. And the passage says that Philip went on, used the scriptures, beginning at the passage he was at, and then he told the story about who Jesus was. This is the prophecy of the Messiah. The Messiah has come, Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem. He was killed in Jerusalem. The Jewish leaders rejected him. He was the promised Messiah. He was killed, uh, put on the cross and, and he died. He was buried. But on Sunday morning, he rose again from the dead. And now he's offering life to everybody. Philip explains that. And somehow in the conversation, maybe it's going for several hours, <clears throat> Philip at some point talks about when you accept Jesus, when you receive him, when you confess that he is Lord and you ask him to forgive you for your sins, then you show that and declare that by baptism. Well, he knew about Jewish baptism. He'd had that. But this baptism for him was going to be different because it meant that he would be fully and completely welcomed and accepted. He wouldn't be on the edge. He'd be allowed all the way in and received as a brother in Christ. And so as they're travelling along, uh, he declares his faith and Philip, they stop a chariot, they get down out of it and Philip baptises him. They both go down into the water. He baptises him in the name of Jesus. Um, name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit comes up. As soon as they come up out of the water, the passage says, verse 39, the Spirit snatched Philip away. Now, I think you didn't have a different view, of course, but you might want to come and talk about it. Philip disappeared. It's the same word that is used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when the church is going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Here one minute, poof, gone the next. Guy gets baptised, the unit comes up out of the water, turns around, no, Philip. Never saw him again. And Philip lands about 20 miles north of Gaza where this guy is headed. And the passage goes on to tell us that Philip, in fact, just got on doing what he was doing. Wherever he went, he spoke about Jesus, he preached the gospel, he ended up in Caesarea where 20 years later, we read in Acts 20, he's still there. He's got four daughters and he's still doing it. He's still following Jesus. What have we learned from all of these sorts of encounters? Well, listen to these steps. There are four points. Philip was obedient when he was in Samaria preaching. He was obedient when the angel commanded him, go down, and join, go down to the road and wait. He was obedient when the Holy Spirit said to him, go join that chariot. Philip was obedient, number one. Number two, Philip was a guy who was a listener. He listened to what the guy was reading. He just asked a simple question. Do you understand what you're reading? When he was invited into the chariot and he sat down again, he's asking questions and the guy is led to faith. He's an obedient Christian who listens to people who don't know Jesus, listens to their questions and answers their questions to the best of his ability. Number three, he uses the scriptures. He uses God's word to help this guy understand the truth and reality of who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. He was obedient. 
He was listening to this unbeliever and he uses the Bible to explain who Jesus is. And then finally, he was a person who spoke about Jesus. He uses the scriptures, but he got on to Jesus. Didn't get distracted by any of the other sorts of many common obstacles or questions that people have. He got to Jesus, the most important person. Then he baptizes him and he's snatched away. Simples. Obedient. He listens, uses the Bible, and he just talks about Jesus. Four simple things. Then remember this. This guy is a very unlikely candidate for conversion. A very unlikely candidate for conversion. Maybe you can identify with that. Maybe there's somebody in your life, your family, somebody that you go, just impossible, too hard. Well, not for God. Philip was in Samaria, the guy was in Jerusalem, the apostles were in Jerusalem. Why didn't God send one of the apostles to go talk to this guy? They could have led him to Jesus, they could have then discipled him and all sorts of things. Answer? I won't go into the details, but all of this happens before Acts chapter 10. Up until then, the Jewish apostles believed the Gospels were for Jewish people. So they were preaching to the Jews. And it was only people like the Greek-speaking deacons out of Acts chapter 6 who went to Samaria and preached. Peter and John went up and visit and they were amazed and surprised. Even the Samaritans are coming to faith. And in Acts chapter 10 is where you get Peter. Remember the vision and the snakes and the reptiles and the animals and everything else and you got to eat that? Uh, uh, uh. Don't call unclean what I've called clean, Peter. And at that point, the apostles get it. When Jesus says, go into all of the world and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son and Spirit and teach them to obey, what they heard was, go to every nation where there are Jewish people and tell the Jewish people the Messiah has come. And that's what they did. And it wasn't until Stephen, Acts 7, until Philip, Acts 8, um, that the church begins, to, the curtain starts to come back. Oh, God cares about everybody, not just the Jews. He cares about his people, the Jewish people, but he also cares about us, the Gentiles, those who were once excluded. Unlikely candidates God cares for. And God works through these amazing circumstances and coincidences. <clears throat> There's a terrible verse in Proverbs, chapter 16, verse 33. It says, The lot is cast into the lap, and the Lord determines the outcome. That's a terrible verse, because if ever you play a board game and you've got a dice, and you roll it, you roll the dice, but the Lord determines the outcome. That's what the verse is saying. So when you want to roll a six and you want to roll a five, that's God not letting you roll a six. So God is sovereignly working all those circumstances out. What do we get from all of this? Three things. Something for you to pick, something for you to pray about, something for you to think about. <clears throat> Firstly, just to remind you, this thing called a divine appointment. What Jesus had with the woman at the well. What Philip has here with this Ethiopian eunuch. What happened with those guys who brought that paralytic in Mark chapter 2 um, and lowered him through the roof. It's a divine 
appointment, something God is orchestrating, and God continues to do it. It's a meeting that he sets up between believers and an unbeliever, where the believer gets the opportunity to talk to them about him, to reveal some truth or aspect about him. It's what happened with Jesus and Zacchaeus up the tree. It's what happens with the, it's all the way, 27 times in the Gospels, Jesus has these divine encounters. It begins in John chapter 1 with Andrew and Philip. Behold the Lamb of God, just happens. And they have a conversation that goes all day. It goes right to the cross. We're on the cross, there's a thief beside Jesus, a divine appointment. And the guy comes to faith. Here is the point. God wants to bring people across your path so that you can talk to them about Jesus and help them move one step closer to who he is and understanding that. People who are far from God, people who need to be saved by him, forgiven and saved and accepted, God wants to use you as an obedient follower of Jesus, as somebody who is listening to the questions and the issues that people are talking about, somebody who will use their Bible and who will talk about Jesus to help these people move in this direction to help them become followers of Jesus. So something to think about. Number one, God wants to bring these people across your path and he's already started. <clears throat> think about all of the non-Christians, all of the people who don't follow Jesus, who are already in your life, in your family, in your friends, in your sporting groups, university, work, your neighbours, God has already put people there. Let me encourage you to think about them. Make a list. Write their names down. And then do a quick analysis. Where would you say they are in their understanding of who Jesus is? Are they um, far from God? They're closed. They're anti. They're not interested. Well, that's all right. Still put them on the list. Pray for them. Or are they moving in this way? Are they a bit closer? They're a bit open. We'll put them in an open category. And then having put them into that sort of group, then be prepared to be equipped of how do I talk to people who are far from God? How do I get equipped to be a better communicator about Jesus to them? What do I need to learn? What can I learn? How can I do it better? And what do I need to learn about people who are interested in questions? What method can I use or what issues? We're going to talk about more about this as we go forward. So number one, think about who are the people God has already brought across your path, people you're in contact with. Number two, pray. Pray for two lots. Pray for yourself. Pray for me. Pray for one another. Pray that God will open our eyes and our ears so that we can see the opportunities this week that he might very well bring across our path. Pray that God would make you more sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit within. Just like Philip, responding to the nudges. And um, somebody's mind names comes to your mind and it's either to pray for or ring or contact. It's the Spirit of God working in you. <clears throat> so pray that God will open your eyes and your ears to the opportunities you have this week. And here's something to do next Sunday night. Come prepared to report back. What encounter did you have this week? What divine appointment did God give you this week? What happened this week? How is God at work in you and through you? Wait and see. So think about the people. Pray. Pray for yourself first. 
And then secondly, pray for those unbelievers by name. Mention them by name. And ask God to be kind and gracious to them and to move them from indifference to interest. From interest to acceptance. God is the one who's got to work and change hearts and lives. And he does it through his word and through his people, but it's God who's doing the work. Pray for them by name. When we have the week of prayer, Tuesday to Friday, where each night we're going to pray for people in your life who are not believers, and we'll name them. And we're going to light a candle, is that right? And we're going to put the candles in the baptistry. Did you, have, you talking, take, have you talking about this? <laughs> the idea is we're going to burn the church down. Ah, we're going to have little candles tea candle what are they those things and when you pray for one person who whatever name it is then you light that and we put that on the baptistry and so then they'll be floating and so by the friday night the baptistry should be full the church should be ablaze (laughs) hopefully it's a visual reminder of the impact and then there's other things we're going to do as well. So it's going to be an exciting time. So Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday night, 7 o'clock, after Focus Sunday, next week, come along. So pray. Pray for these people by name. And then lastly, pick. Pick one of those things, or those qualities of Philip. Pick one of those that you need to develop, you need to improve, you need to do something about in your life. What were the four qualities? Well, he was a guy who was obedient. Is that something you've got to improve in your life? Is there some area of your life where you're not obedient? Well, repent. Cut it out. Get right with Jesus and surrender your life and be fully obedient to him. Do whatever he says and wants. We'll certainly talk about more of that at Focus Sunday. Um, He was a guy who listens. Are you a good listener? Are you a bad listener? Is that an area you need to improve in when it comes particularly to talking with those outside the faith. He was a guy who used his Bible. Is that something you need to improve? Your Bible knowledge, your Bible awareness, your Bible reading, uh, improving your understanding of what the Scriptures are teaching? Or number four, he just talked about Jesus. Is that something you need to develop? You need to understand more about who Jesus is and what he did and how can I talk about him in a way that makes sense? to people who don't have any understanding. Pick one of the four. Obedient, a listener, Bible, Bible knowledge, or learning more about Jesus and how I can talk about him. Pick one of those and work on it this week. Acts chapter 8 is just one way that God was at work. In Acts chapter 2, he did it on a mass scale. In Mark chapter 2, he did it on this small group of guys uh, combined effort In Acts 16, it's an earthquake. God uses all different sorts of ways to bring people to faith in him. Think about the people he's brought across your path. Pray for them and yourself and pick one area for you to work on in your life. We're going to pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are the God who is at work. You do incredible and amazing things. It's an exciting story to read about Philip. It's wonderful to read how obedient and submissive he was just to your promptings and suggestions. And Lord, you never send anybody on a fool's errand. You're always 
got a reason and a purpose. Not that we always understand that, but like Philip, help us to trust you and to obey you. Lord, give us clarity to write the names down of the people you've already brought across our path, people we're in relationship with, who don't know you, who are far from you. Help us to pray for them and for ourselves. And then, Lord, help us likewise to be committed and disciplined, to work on some areas of our life so that we, like Philip, can be obedient and available and open and used by you to extend the kingdom of Jesus. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.